Hello and welcome to the Friday, June 19th, 2020, Juneteenth edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, the legislature sleepless in Des Moines, the poll says, and good news, bad news. No joke. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, the newspaper statehouse bureau chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, the legislature goes long. Despite their lack of experience adjourning a session in June, Iowa lawmakers handled it remarkably well. And by remarkably well, I mean terribly, which I guess, <laughs> which I guess is par for the course. Let's give lawmakers kudos for addressing police reforms in real time when it would have been so easy to appoint an interim committee to bring back suggestions in January. However, sleep-deprived lawmakers stumbled to the finish line Sunday afternoon after senators debated through the night, offering their opinions to a near-empty Capitol and about a dozen hearty folks, uh, including me, following the, video, the live stream. The lack of an audience did not diminish the passion and enthusiasm for talking. After all, they had each other for moral support. <laughs> then Sunday, majority Republicans set a debate deadline for, among other things, the $7.78 billion budget. Democrats immediately went to caucus. When they came back, they spent their time talking about a change in election law. Republicans couldn't point to a problem the change would fix, and Democrats could only offer what-if arguments. What if my grandma spelled her name wrong? Sorts of arguments against the change. In both the House and the Senate, in the end, the party with the most votes carried the day or the night, as the case was. Todd and Aaron, uh, you've been through this process, the long days and longer nights, uh, towards the death march of adjournment. Uh, if you're like me, there's always this sort of inner debate going on. Who's dumber, the legislators who spend all night talking to no one listening, or reporters who stay up and don't listen? Todd... <laughs> It's too early to know what the latest batch of legislative sausage will taste like, but uh, first blush, what does it look like? What does it smell like? Well, the voting change you mentioned smelled pretty bad. I mean, we had a situation where there was a, a big amendment to a very small bill that would have uh, made, made significant changes to the way Iowans can uh, request an absentee ballot, would have stopped the Secretary of State from doing what he did amid the pandemic, which was send a request form to every Iowa voter uh, to encourage them to vote absentee instead of showing up at a polling place while, you know, taking the risk of getting sick. Uh, they seem to back away from that. There seemed to be sort of a, a bipartisan truce. They left it at the, the Secretary of State would have to ask the Legislative Council for permission, which I didn't think was a great step anyway. I don't think you should have to ask anyone. I think it's part of his statutory authority. But that was better than the original version, and so Democrats went along with it. But then, then they decided to go ahead and stick the onerous language onto a budget bill, and and now made it a little bit tougher to 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 request absentee ballots. You have to have your your driver's license number or your voter ID pin, which I I have no idea what my voter ID pin is, and. Uh, they, they no longer allow auditors to sort of check the database to, to fill in missing information as they can do currently. So basically, you're, you're probably going to see some people not get to cast a ballot due to one technicality or another, which Democrats decried 
as another attempt. And we've seen several here and across the country of Republicans kind of trying to make it more difficult to vote. So, yeah, the sort of bait and switch on that was was uh, was particularly smelly and left a bad taste. And then you had another abortion restriction passed, you know, launched in the night, a a 24 hour waiting period that Iowans didn't get 24 hours notice of (laughs) that the legislature was going to take it up. So, yeah, that's you talked about the police reform. They went from sort of a nice moment on Friday afternoon to kind of 48 hours of your, you know, typical late night surprise shenanigans, mm-hmm. which was unfortunate. Sort of sort of business as usual at the end of the session. But um, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, along those lines, um, Andrew Batt, the great producer from Iowa Public, well, Iowa PBS, um, asked me uh, on Friday afternoon at the press conference that we're going to talk about, the bill that we're going to talk about here, the uh, police reform bill. He asked me um, what uh, last second bombs I expected to see in the legislature that weekend as they went to uh, adjourn. And like a colossal moron, (laughs) I told him that I wondered if maybe this was the year that there wouldn't be any of that stuff, you know, with everything going on and the, the, the weird session with the COVID breakup, maybe this is the year that they just come in and do the job and, and leave. And, and uh, I feel ashamed for having said those words out loud now. <laughs> oh, I think we've had those thoughts. We've all had those thoughts at one time or another and then realize, whoa, well, what so was I? Yeah. Yeah. This might be the year. No, never, never. never. <laughs> Aaron, uh, I mean, we knew going into this kind of a second semester of the session that after a two month suspension because of the COVID-19, that this would be a historic session just for that purpose, for that reason alone. In the end, COVID-19 wasn't the only history made. Uh, lawmakers, as we've mentioned, responded to the killing of George Floyd and the public outcry and demonstrations uh, we saw in, in many cities across the state by passing a package of police reforms. How, how will that change law enforcement? What, what's the impact going to be? Well, it was interesting when uh, you, you talked to people about what was in the bill and and, and maybe the provision that I heard, actually heard the most about was the um, ban on rehiring officers who have been uh, fired uh, at previous jobs for misconduct, use of excessive force, a, a couple other things. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I was unaware that, that I had not heard of that as a problem before and and, and uh, in the discussion about this bill, as it happened over over that week, um, I heard a number of people talking about that and the issue of, um, you know, s- police who have been bad actors in certain places, um, you know, getting swept under the rug by just moving them to a different department. Um, so th- that was one that was interesting to me to hear people talk about. But all of the provisions in there... Um, uh, the ban on chokeholds, with with, a, with just a few exceptions, um, uh, a, f- a few more requirements for de-escalation training and bias training. Um, all all advocates and 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 people who wanted to see something happen are are pleased with what they saw in this bill. So so any number of those hopefully will be helpful and, and make an impact. And um, uh, according to Governor uh, Reynolds, uh, the law enforcement community did not stand in the way of 
this. Um, so, so the, you know, I, I don't know, it might be strong to call it a blessing that they gave it their blessing, but they didn't, you know, raise, um, you know, objections and, and try to get the, the legislation stopped. So it does seem to be one of those rare bills that, um, uh, checked some of the right boxes and, and, and people are hopeful that will, it will have a positive impact um, and was done in a bipartisan and, and rapid manner. Uh, it's, all, it's almost a unicorn uh, in that way. Uh, um. Unicorns and legislation, I don't know. I don't know. If, uh, Amy, um, after being one of the leaders of the effort to pass this toward a more perfect union package of police reforms, um, it, it appears Waterloo Democrat Representative Ross Smith is shifting gears to focus on felon voting rights. And um, he's been tweeting uh, at the governor, uh, counting down the, the number of days that's been since she's uh, pledged to sign an executive order restoring voting rights before the election. Um, will this make the governor move any faster on her executive order? And, and is Rod Smith uh, sort of a, a rising star for uh, Iowa Democrats, uh, especially in the legislature? You know, he could be. He could be making this his moment. Um, I think that it would not be a bad move for him, certainly. I think that he really has the ability to, you know, be one of, you know, a handful of black legislators in that office and, and one of the younger ones that can say, you know, this is a really big issue and we need to focus on it and then um, sort of take this moment and run with it. But yeah, I mean, he's gotten what a couple hundred uh, follows and retweets out of um, you know pressuring the governor to do this uh, felon amendment, and I think if he keeps pressuring her like that every single day before she does it, he can probably claim a small victory in in that pressure. And obviously, he was one of the ones that sat down with her. But but yeah, I think that he could definitely, um, depending on if the protests continue, depending on. Um, if that energy is still there in November, he could definitely um, make the case that he was there and, and and made a big deal about it until it was done. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, to some degree, to a large degree, I guess it depends on who's in the majority come uh, January when the legislature reconvenes. Uh, but it seems like he's someone who is would be in line for a leadership position uh, if, if they're in the majority, if Democrats are in the majority. So... Yeah, um, Aaron, uh, what's the latest on the timing of the governor's executive order? When should we expect that? Um, not in the next couple of days, but the, the governor was asked about this Thursday at her press conference. Um, and she did pledge that it would be done um, to paraphrase her. Basically, what she was saying is it'll be done in plenty of time for anyone who might be impacted to take advantage in time for this fall's general election. Um, short of that, she um, didn't promise any hard deadline or, or set any um, concrete timetable. Um, she said she wants to make sure she gets the language right. So um, clearly she's not planning to just take Tom Vilsack's 2005 order and, and copy and paste it. Um, uh, basically what she suggested is she, she wants to, even though an executive order is ultimately still a temporary solution um, because it can be changed by the next governor, it, it sounded like her her focus is to try and make it at least as permanent as possible. 
or, or uh, and uh, at the very least to get it right and get the language right. So she kind of suggested that she, she she and her team are taking their time putting that together. Uh, they want to get it right, but but she did pledge because some people had, you know, they hear um, a, a vague timeline and they start to get from politician and they start to get nervous and and some people had started to speculate well maybe she's going to drag her feet enough that um, uh, people won't have time to 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 take advantage of this by this fall's election and she did make that pledge on Thursday that whenever it comes, it will be in time for, for November. That's good. That makes sense. Um, and the sooner the better, I'm sure for, for people who want to get their voting rights back as well as um, election officials who are going to have to process those applications. Shifting yep. gears here. Um, the early polling suggests that 2020 may not be a great year for Iowa Republicans. Uh, the Des Moines Register's Iowa poll showed President Trump leading Joe Biden by only one percentage point, um, a virtual tie. Democrat Teresa Greenfield leading Senator Joni Ernst um, by uh, three percentage points, which is essentially a tie. It's within the margin of error. And voters prefer Democrats in the U.S. House races. Um, Amy, looking at that first district race, the incumbent, Abby Finkenauer, has a six-point advantage. Um, that's a turnaround from earlier when the Iowa poll showed that Republicans had advantages in all four districts on a generic ballot. Well, what's the key here for Finkenauer um, to graduate from freshman, freshman to sophomore status? Yeah, I think she's uh, really planning to do a two-fold um, attack here from from what I understand. It's, it's basically... First, let's talk about how she helped um, everyone through the coronavirus pandemic and, and the bills that she was instrumental at on the federal level. Um, remind sort of people about the small business loans and the um, the help with unemployment and and, and that sort of thing. And um, and then the more personal stories, obviously. But then the second uh, part of the attack is going to be, I think, um, talking about Ashley Hinson as um, sort of just motivated to um, rise her be, become a rising star. Um, electorally become like a star politician, not necessarily worried about um, caring about the district. So they're going to sort of paint her, you know, as the darling of the Republican party and, and um, you know, the one who's going to, you know, come in and, and swing the district back. And, and Abby's going to say, well, I'm here, you know, sort of concerned about the issues and here are those issues. So I think that plus I asked if they're worried about how Biden would perform, as you said, um, mm -hmm. you know, within the margin of error with Trump. And they said, you know, it's it's sort of both that and how the down ticket ones from Abby are also going to be performing in the first district that are really going to be sort of the harbinger of how it goes in the fall. Um, so whether or not Biden does well, and of course they expect Biden to do well in, in the more liberal first district um, rather than the state as a whole, that that should help Abby. Um, but also if people are, are excited about the local races, um, if they're excited about the Dubuque candidate, you know, the the far northeast Iowa candidate, the Waterloo candidate, then they're going to come out and they're going to support Abby. Yeah, in talking to Republicans, it, it seems like they they see that as uh, the challenge is um, sort of. I mean, for Finkenauer, she needs to run up her numbers in Dubuque County, which is a traditional Democratic stronghold, and, and Hinson has to hold down the Democratic advantage in Lynn County, and then hope that the the rural area comes through. Um, for Ashley Hinson. Um, but I, I mean, it's certainly, uh, 
yeah, it's it's up for grabs when you think about this district that how four years ago it swung from Obama to Trump, mm. um, and, and you know, and two years ago then um, booted a Republican incum- incumbent, um, right, Rod Blum, yep. Yeah, and he elected Abby Finkenauer. So um, it'll be it's very swingy and very swingy in the first district. Uh, <laughs> in the second district, uh, which stretches across south, southern and southeast Iowa, uh, Democrat Rita Hart, uh, who is running against State Senator Marionette Miller Meeks, rolled out her first policy proposal promising to clean up Washington. Todd, um, isn't this about the same as motherhood and apple pie in terms of? non-controversial platform planks. Yeah, that's uh, that's not terribly uh, exciting. I mean, you've heard lots of candidates say that over the years. Uh, I, I'm waiting for the congressional candidate to just run on a platform saying, I'm going to go there and just see what I can do to make sure it doesn't get any worse. I just think that would probably be more believable and more... <laughs> I'm just, I'm not going to vote for the bad stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, it's, I, I still am always amazed that people want to run for the U S house of representatives, but they, <laughs> but they, they continue to do so every two years. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's always my question is why would you want this job? Um, yeah. You know, and, and to go back to the first district race, and, and Amy, you've probably noticed this too, that um, for the past oh, at least month, maybe two months, almost every single day we get a news release that Abby Finkenauer has secured more funds for this, that, or the other thing in the first district. Yes. Um, I mean, it, she is working that machine very well. Um, you know, airports, health clinics, uh, you name it, she's she's getting money for it. It may not be a lot of money, but... You know, it's enough that you can write a news release about it. So, um, yeah, you know, that and it ties the in. White Airport got thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel better. Um, you know, yes. and, and uh, I'm sure the people in Olwine uh, are, are happy uh, about that. I'm sure some uh, people that use the airport in Olwine are happy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it, it's a game of inches, I guess. Uh, you know, you gain an inch in old wine and an inch, uh, you know, somewhere else. Yeah. But, uh, yeah she's, it, it, I've been struck by how the Finkenauer official and campaign sides are both milking that uh, very, very effectively. So I, I expect the money it's to keep of, flowing at least through November. It's kind of old fashioned. I mean, that's how you remember when Tom Harkin would be up for re-election, how many press releases you would get about, you know, this, this town getting funding for this project. And that was back during the old earmark days when you could mm-hmm. add stuff to budget bills. And yeah, that was a big part of Harkin's campaign is look at, look at all the tax money I'm bringing back to Iowa. So it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of, kind of a throwback. Yeah. Everything old is new again. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Speaking of new 2022, isn't that far away? And Aaron, uh, it may seem like, <laughs> We've got an election before that, but uh, 2022, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds uh, may be on the ticket as running for a second term. Um, it was just last week that someone was asking me if I thought that uh, all the stress and the ordeal of uh, running the state during this coronavirus pandemic might have Governor Reynolds thinking about not running for a second term. Uh, but then this new Iowa poll came out showing her with an approval rating, 56% approve 
36% disapprove, which is better than Chuck Grassley, Joni Ernst, or Donald Trump. Uh, 88% of Republicans and a quarter of Democrats approve of the job she's doing. So, uh, Aaron, do you have any doubts that she'll be running in 2022? I mean, and, and this isn't based on any insider information, but I, I personally don't. That that uh, And no doubt this has been a remarkable couple of months. And, and we actually saw the impact of that uh, to some degree um, yesterday during, at the end of the governor's press conference when she actually got emotional um, thanking Iowans who had been reaching out to her and um, said they were keeping her in their thoughts and prayers during this time. And, and, and she was about as emotional um, in that moment as we've seen her uh, since she became governor or lieutenant governor for that matter. Um, but that said, um, I, I would still be shocked if she's not the running for reelection again in, in 2022 and, and, with those numbers that you just pointed out, <clears throat> um, the the party, even if she was thinking about not doing it, the party would drag her kicking and screaming back into that re-election campaign. Um, <clears throat> it's it's just really hard at this point. Now, who knows? And, and things change, and who knows what's going on <clears throat> in her personal life at this time in two years. But uh, it, it's really hard at this point to envision Kim Reynolds not running for re-election. Um, in another two years. Now, I mean, if this coronavirus turns out to be something that we're still dealing with in another year or two, God forbid. Yeah, I know, right? Um, (laughs) You know, or or, who knows what else could be happening, then maybe it does get to a point where she is exhausted and and just doesn't want to do it for another four years. But uh, as of right now, I don't see that being... um, possibility. Todd, are you surprised at all with these numbers? I mean, given the back and forth we've seen uh, over her handling of coronavirus, um, I mean, she's, she's certainly gotten a lot of criticism um, and some of it has been sort of partisan, uh, you know, support and criticism, but 56%, you know, that's actually a pretty good number uh, for somebody in office today. Um, does that surprise you at all? No, it doesn't surprise me too much. I think we've seen uh, a lot of governors with pretty high marks. Uh, And part of it is there, you know, I think when people maybe think about if there was, if this was, has been mishandled in any way, if the, if the pandemic has been mishandled, they sort of put that blame, you know, maybe at President Trump and the White House and federal officials that didn't respond quickly enough at the beginning. And now maybe they see their governors as just kind of trying to play the hand they've been dealt. So that, you know, that could be that could be behind some of the reason why these governors seem to be doing a lot better than the president is from an approval standpoint. Uh, yeah. And I and I think, you know, it's I mean, one good thing is that, you know, we've you know, we've we haven't seen the sort of caseloads that maybe they saw in New York and some of these other places. So the direct effect on people has been maybe lower here in Iowa. So they feel like maybe the response they have a better feeling about the response. Mm-hmm. Amy, uh, when you think about uh, Governor Reynolds, are we looking at a Branstead 2.0, another governor for life? <laughs> and then a China ambassador. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, I think not only are we a long way from November with these polls still, we're a long way from 2022. And and obviously anything could happen. I think it's no surprise. I would, I'm actually surprised her, her numbers aren't higher as far as, um, you know, just her hands on, um, you know, talking about the coronavirus, doing these briefings, um, bringing everybody on. I think that's really going to rally, you know, everybody around, you know, their leader in a time of crisis. Obviously, um, you know, the state hasn't had, like you said, any gigantic um, rush on uh, hospitalizations and, and deaths quite yet. So if that continues, um, they'll think that she did a pretty good job, saved the economy as much as she could and that sort of thing. But there's such a long way to go, I think. And so many more things could happen. You guys, we're, we're half the way through this apocalyptic 2020 year. Like we haven't even gotten to the murder hornet you know, invest, <laughs> infestation yet. So once we get there and see how she handles that, you know, we'll know more. But but yeah, I think people generally think that, that she's pretty moderate. Um, I think pretty good leader in this, but there's a long way to go. So let's just continue this parlor game for a moment. Uh, suppose we get to 2022 and there's an opening uh, for a U.S. Senate seat. Uh, is Kim Reynolds... Um, a candidate, a viable candidate for the U.S. Senate. Oh boy, she would be a she, uh, you know, she'd be a heck of a strong one for the Republican Party. I, I have no idea if she has that kind of aspiration. Um, we often talk about, uh, we have this discussion whenever these things kind of come up, and um, folks who are candidates who are politicians, I should say. Forgive me who are more um, drawn to executive positions uh, than legislative positions. Tom Vilsack is an example of that. Um, we talked about that when uh, in, in 2018, um, um, when, or I'm sorry, 2016, when that race was up. Or was it 18? I, I'm, I'm sorry. Anyways, the point being... <laughs> All the years run together. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Time is a flat circle anymore. Um, You know, there are some politicians who just prefer that executive role, especially once they've held it for a while. So that would be a a question. Does is Kim Reynolds that kind of a politician? But if she does have that aspiration and she does have that willingness to to uh, run for the U.S. Senate, um, boy, Republicans uh, Iowa and nationally, I would assume would would love that, and and she would be, um, again, assuming no dramatic changes between now and, and two years from now, uh, she'd be a heck of a candidate. But I I I thought that seat was being held for Senator Grassley to the sequel. Right. <laughs> well, it could be interesting, Senator. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that between now and 2022. But in the meantime, some good news, bad news here. Let's start with the bad news. A poll out this week found that voters don't trust the political news they get and think it's biased against President Donald Trump. The good news is they're following the news more closely. Just 30% of likely U.S. voters trust political news they're getting, but 44% say they're following the news more closely than they were a year ago. Uh, so I guess who knew that distrust would be a, a good strategy for boosting circulation and, and viewership. <laughs> did, they, did they ask how much people trust public opinion polls? 
Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I bet they do even worse than us. <laughs> uh, you're probably right. <laughs> I think they do That's ask that occasionally. That's always <laughs> a fun one to read about. <laughs> That's the good news. Three horse race between media polls and Congress. There you go. At the bottom of the middle. Well, trust me yeah, when I say that. Why? Why do you do? Why? <laughs> I was just going to say, like, like, why do you? Why do they do polls? For generic ballot, when we know who's on the ballot, that would be a that would yeah. be a good question. Ask the the Iowa poll. <laughs> oh, now, now, let's not be picky. Let's not be picky. <laughs> okay, I was just going to say, trust me, that uh, this is it for the this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it's worth your time. If you liked it. Tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. You can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Help for Stout will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.